Good morning. Um, thank you. One person's awake. Very good. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, all right. Um, what, sorry, what's the pra your pra praise leader's name? Dan Danny? Praise Danny. Thanks, Danny. As Danny said, uh, my name, you can call me Pastor Goose. Um, it comes from a, a nickname that I, I grew up with in, in high school. Um, uh, there's, no, there's no funny story. It's just I used to go by my Korean name, which is Uigu. Uh, Don't laugh. That's, I have a lot of scars from that. Just kidding. Um, and, and I know it sounds like Uigu if you're, if you're Korean. Uh, it's because uh, it's a very sad story. Uh, I have I have uh, I have uh, four sisters. Um, I'm right in the middle. I'm the third child. But my dad and my mom they wanted three sisters first, only three girls. So when the first one was born, uh, they named her Mi Jin. Jin is like first place in the Korean like pageant. And then the second one was born, and they named her Mi Hun. Sun is second place in the Korean pageant. And then I came out and they said, yeah. If you don't know Korean, that means darn. <laughs> I don't know. Gosh, I don't know. But that's, that's not true. Obviously, that's not true. My name means uh, seek righteousness. Kuhara in Matthew 6.33. Um, seek first his king, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, uh, but growing up with that name, it was very hard for people to, to say, so Goo just became Goose. There you go. Um, so you guys can call me that. Uh, uh, and then I have a third name, which is Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, and I named myself Martin when I got, when I became a U.S. citizen, uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, and um, I named myself after Martin Luther, the great reformer. So I have three names, um, all which speak to who I am, because names tell a lot about you, right? And names are very important. All right, so that's that. Uh, if you don't know, I started. Uh, at this church in February as the um, preschool pastor, and then in March, uh, I, I, led the, I started leading the, um, the preschool that meets during the week. If you guys don't know, we do have a, a church preschool uh, that meets uh, Monday through Friday, so I, I help oversee that. Um, and then, uh, as you all know, I am now leading the, officially leading the uh, middle school ministry, can I get a show of hands of, of my flock? Who's my flock? Who's my sheep here? Middle school. Why is it all guys? <laughs> oh, oh, hey. All right. Good. Very good. All right. I'm excited to get to know all of us, uh, all the middle schoolers, high school. And in the summer, we're together. So i um, very excited to be here and get to know you. Um, and I uh, hope we can, can, you know, grow in that relationship. Um, but because of the time let's go into the word uh this summer 
Pastor Pete and I are going to be sharing preaching duties, so we'll be taking turns uh, preaching from the book of Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms. So just a quick, um, I think it was Danny, Danny, right, the praise leader? Daniel? Danny? Daniel? Danny? Danny hit, it, hit the nail on the head when he was like, you know, this summer, you guys are on break, and we don't know how you're going to spend your summer, but uh, our prayer and hope, Pastor Pete and I, is that during the summer, uh, we can grow in our, in our walk with God, uh, first and foremost. And the Psalms is, is a lot about uh, just being real and authentic and raw and um, dealing with God, dealing with ourselves, dealing with our condition. And we thought Psalms would be a good way to, uh, to just grow more intimate with the Lord as we go through uh, different books of Psalms. Um, because it's, it's 150 individual uh, poems, prayers, and praises. Three Ps, okay? Poems, prayers, and praises that have been edited and arranged into the book of Psalms that we have be before you today. So there are 150 different poems, prayers, and praises, uh, about half of them written by King David, but all edited and then arranged to be the book of Psalms that we have here today. Um, but they were all written in different times and collected and now arranged. And they express a wide variety of emotions, including uh, love and adoration towards God, sorrow over sin, over the, the problems of the world, uh, dependence on God in desperate circumstances, in, in, in being chased by enemies, and uh, the battle of fear and trust, uh, walking with God even when the way seems dark, thankfulness for God's care, devotion to the word of God, confidence in uh, triumph of God's purposes for the world. It speaks about the messianic king, the king who's to come and to save uh, his people and be a light to the nations. Talks about judgment and salvation and a whole range of, of personal things. A lot of the, the poetry was a personal, personal poems uh, used with personal intensity uh, to drag us into the depth of reality itself. They don't just tell about life. It pulls us into life, in the middle of it, in the middle of their circumstances. Um, and it, so the poetry doesn't tell us something that we never knew. Uh, but it brings into recognition what is overlooked and forgotten. So it goes into the details of the heart and, and the wrestling and the battling of the heart. Um, so in, in, in summary, the poetry requires that we deal with our humanity, deals with our humanity. The prayers that are in the Psalms is language used in personal relationship to God. So it gives utterance to what we sense or want to respond to before God. God speaks to us. Our answers are our prayers. And the prayers are not always articulate. Sometimes they're moanings and complaints and, and, and skepticism and curses even. But uh, always God is involved, whether in darkness or light, fear or faith. Uh, the prayers are about responding to him. So in summary, the prayers requires that we deal with God. The poems require that we deal with our humanity. So dealing with ourselves, our real raw issues, and then dealing with God in the midst of them. Uh, and who God is and how he um, uh, is involved in, in those situations. And then the praises talk about 
they require that we worship God for who he is and what he's done. Uh, and, they, and a lot of the poems and prayers were turned into praise songs that they used to sing um, when they gathered for worship. So uh, the Psalms means songs. And so this was like the songbook of the people of the day when they gathered for worship. And it helped. We, we, all, we all have our favorite songs because they, they express in words that we couldn't express, our feelings and emotions. And in that same uh, regard, the psalms were used to express that, that worship, uh, the depths of our hearts in worship and in song. So that's sort of a um, brief introduction to psalm. And we're going to start with Psalm 1. Psalm 1. All right, so let's, let's open to Psalm 1 and we'll read that together. Um, do we usually uh, end around 12? All right. Okay. All right, Psalm 1. Uh, let's, let's, let's turn our Bible to Psalm 1 and then I'll pray. All right. <clears throat> Father God, uh, thank you for uh, this, this day of gathering as your people to look to our God and to turn from the idols of our hearts and from this world and to look to you. Um, thank you for this time where we can look to you in songs, in the word, in prayer, in fellowship. Fill our hearts this day uh, with you, God, with your truth. Uh, with your presence, so that our hearts will be refreshed, so that our affections for Christ may grow today, that we would love Jesus more today through this time. God, um, I'm not worthy to, to preach your word. Um, I'm a sinner, Lord. Uh, I'm not here because I'm perfect or because I've accomplished all these things i'm here by your grace alone as we all are um we you know oh lord our hearts the ways we've fallen the ways we are uh, inadequate the ways we've sinned against you but by your grace we're here and by your grace you receive us um through faith in christ um so we ask uh god for you to um to meet with us today and, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do you want to climb the world's highest mountain? A reporter asked George, and his answer is very profound, because it's there. In 1924, George Lay Mallory determined to ascend the as-yet-unconquered peak of Mount Everest, 
And on June 8th of that year, the 38-year-old father of three young children was last sighted trudging up the mountain with his companion. Fast forward 75 years later to 1999, an American climbing team discovered Mallory's perfectly preserved body on the slopes of the mountain. All right, all right. Brother George here, I don't know if he's brother, but George here, 38 years old, I'm 38 years old, left his young kids to climb Mount Everest, and, and brother died <laughs> climbing the mountain. Um, and he left his family he le- and, and sacrificed his life to accomplish this climb. <laughs> but was it, was it really necessary? Did it make a difference in our world? Did it really do what he thought it would do for him and his family? And we all know that it failed to fulfill whatever he wanted to get out of it because he died. He died. He didn't have to do it. He said, it's, just, it's because it's just there, and I want to conquer it. It's like, it's like when a dog chases after a car. After he catches up with the car, what does he do with it? Nothing. He just, all right, cool. <laughs> I chased the car, you know. Um, but why waste energy on that? George died, and yeah, he, he made history in doing so. People know his name if you're a climber, but none of us here probably didn't know his name. Um, but again, he, he devoted his whole life to this mission, to what he thought would give him joy and satisfaction, to what he thought was his life's call and his life's fulfillment. Would you say that was a waste? I, I think so. I think so. I feel bad for his family and for his kids. Um, but he, he really thought it would give him joy. It would give him that satisfaction. Now, um, I want to ask you, what mountain are you climbing? What mountain do you think, you know, you're trudging up, devoting your life to because it will give you that sense of joy and satisfaction? What, are, are you in the same position as George, climbing something, yet when you get to the top, you're not sure what's going to even happen? What are you living for? And is it truly making you happy? Now, that's what Psalm 1 is about, right? That's what Psalm 1 is about. It says, blessed is the man, blessed, happy, joyful, you know, um, God's, God's favor on him, blessed. Everything's the way it's supposed to be, right? You're blessed. You're happy. And that's what Psalm 1 is about, how to be blessed, Right? How to be blessed. And uh, so we're going to look at two ways, two ways that you can live, two images that describe that, and then two results 
all here in the book of Psalm 1. Two ways, two images, and two results. Two endings. Um, so we'll start with the first thing. Um, the first thing that we ought to know is that God has given us a, 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 a poem, a, a text here about that happiness is a possibility. We can be happy. He wants us to be happy. That's why he gave us these words. Blessed is the, is the one. Blessed is the one who uh, delights in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the one who dot, dot, dot. Because he's speaking to us saying, this is the way, guys. This is the way. Because there's, there, the word, uh, the bless, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That law of the Lord is Torah. The first five books of Moses, or it could be translated as teaching. Uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, or it could be translated as teaching, the law of the Lord, Torah or teaching. And what the word Torah comes from, comes from a verb that means to, to throw something like a javelin so that it hits the mark. It's the noun for the verb. But when you throw something, it hits the mark. That's what Torah is. So what we see here is that God's word, teach, his teaching, the Torah, is like a javelin. And we are the target. Right? He intentionally aimed and spoke his word to us in order to pierce and penetrate our hearts. Our God is a relational God, a God who wants to communicate to us. And these words get inside and work their meaning in us, right? So the Bible is not a, a reference book where we're just learning facts and we just want information off the shelf. Um, but, it's, but it's God's word to us. And particularly here in Psalm 1, how to be happy, how to have the blessed life, how to truly live. And he wants that to pierce our hearts and work its, its work in us, its power in us, um, right? And so the moment we know that God speaks to us, that's when we realize the delight, that we can delight in the law of the Lord. We can delight in his teaching because it's from a God who loves us and who wants to speak to us. We can delight in his word. Because it's, it's given to us by grace. He didn't have to share his word with us. He didn't have to speak to us. He didn't have to give us the story of his, of his redemption of people, of how to be saved, of how to know God. He didn't have to, but he did. Um, and, in, and ultimately... The way he spoke to us more, the way he revealed himself in this greatest, most perfect form is through his son, Jesus Christ. He so wanted to reveal his glory, which the New Testament says Christ, right, is the image of God, the glory of God, right? So in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, right, the ultimate word of God. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? He wanted his very presence uh, to speak to us, and he sent his Son. The very image of God, the glory of God, became flesh and lived here in this world among us. So God speaks, a javelin wanting to speak to us, the law of the Lord. And as we begin to think of that, wow, God speaks to me. We can start having interest and hopefully delight in his word because it's his word to us. Now, verse 1 talks about the other way, right, the other way. There's a lot of things out in this world competing for our hearts, right? God ultimately is the one who created us and made us and wants to be the God of our hearts. But there's a lot of things in this world that are competing for our affection, right? That's why it says, blessed is the one who walks not, what are these ways? The counsel of the wicked stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers. Walking in the counsel of the wicked is, 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 is their advice, their, their uh, uh, ideologies, or standing in the way of sinners, meaning the behavior. So, so the first thing talks about the counsel, the mind, what's, what's affecting your mind, what's influencing how you think, and, 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 and how you, how you want to live your life, what's influencing your perspective, your, your, uh, your paradigm. How you see life and things, right? First the mind and then the one who, nor does he stand in the way of sinners. That's talking about behavior, standing in the way of sinners, doing what the sinners do. And then thirdly, sitting in the seat of scoffers. Where you sit is like your position, right? Who you, where you belong to, the seat of scoffers, right? That seat. It's talking about position. Who do you belong to? Who, what group do you identify with? Right? Are you, are you with God or are you without him? Those are the two ways, right, that Psalm 1 talks about. And so there's a constant competition of your heart and of your mind out in this world. And, and we know that, right? We know that. There's just so many things competing for your heart out there, right? Um, and it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like surviving out in this world. It's hard, you know. It, there's so many, uh, me, so much media and and temptation and 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 technology and all these things out there. It's it's honestly it's hard to live in this world with so many things, you know, uh, battling for you to win you over. Um. I came across this thing called uh, How to Survive an Anaconda Attack. Because you never know in Houston, still be an anaconda. All right? So I wanted to share this information with you. All right? So the first thing is do not run because he's faster than you are. Yes. Number two, lie flat on the ground 
and put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against each other, like so. Okay? And then three, tuck your chin in. Okay? And now four, the snake will begin to nudge and climb over your body. Step five, do not panic. Step six, the snake will begin to swallow your feet first. If you don't know what anaconda is, it's a huge snake, right? It'll swallow your feet first. Step seven, you must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Step eight, this is real, this is real. This is a real 10-step survival guide to anaconda. Uh, step eight, when the snake has reached your knees, his mouth is around, your legs are in his mouth now, it's reached your knees, you reach down, take your knife, and slide it into the, the, the side of the snake's mouth, right, between your, your, its mouth and your legs. So you stick your knife right there, okay, and then quickly rip upward, severing the snake's head off, okay. You got that? All right. Oh, snake. And then step nine, be sure you have your knife. Step 10, be sure your knife is sharp. All right. And, and that's what this, this world is like. It's like there's, there's beasts out there, there's, there's, there's media, there's, there's temptations, there's lies, there's, there's things out there that are out to attack us in this world. And the psalm here is given us, not as a 10-step survival, but how we can be blessed. How can we really be happy in this life? Because there's so many things out there, whether it's through your career, through your education, your GPA, beauty, athletics, uh, popularity, you name it, all those things, acceptance, approval, love, relationships, all these things that are saying, you know, I'll do it, I'll, I'll fulfill your heart, I'll satisfy you. But here we see that God has given us the law of the Lord, his word, his javelin to pierce our hearts and to instruct us on the blessed life, the way, the way of happiness. All right, and um, so what is that way? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So first, it's to, it's to uphold his word and say, okay, God, this word is for, from you. What are you trying to say to me through your word, right? If you've given me your word, uh, I want to learn more about you. Right, Because, I mean, honestly, we give our attention, we try out so many different things, right, thinking that it will make us happy. Let's be honest with ourselves and ask, have we truly given God's word a fair chance? Have we truly given God a fair chance and saying, okay, God, if this is what you promise, I will devote this summer to seeking you and to truly asking you, to give me that happiness that comes from you? Have we honestly given him a chance? Or have we just blown off this whole Christianity thing? It's just I come to church because my parents come 
or just my friends are here? Have we honestly given him a chance? So first is to, is to, take, to see that his word is for you, right? His word is for you. It's not to, the word is not, not to, you know, the whole, the whole story of Scripture is about God's love for us and how he saved us, right? And how he, he, he came to, to, to bring us into his presence and to be his people and for him to be our God. That's what the whole uh, story, redemptive story of Scripture is, is how God came for us to bring us into his kingdom, Right? The kingdom that he established and how we can live in that kingdom. So the first thing is to re- recognize that his word is for us. He loves us. He cares for us. And this is, let's delight in that fact. Delight in the law of the Lord that is for me, that is for you. And then it's to meditate day and night. Meditate day and night. What does that mean to meditate day and night? Meditation uh, is not just reading scripture and saying, okay, okay. You know, I, I learned one thing or here or two. It's not to read it for the sake of reading it, but it's to really take it and 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 think through of what God is trying to say to us. It's not merely reading God's word or just thinking about it, but letting it sink in. It's like and the picture that that this word meditate comes from. Uh, in the same Isaiah, in, the, in, in chapter 31 of the book of Isaiah, he says uh, the word meditate, the verse says, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. That word growl is like meditate because it involves murmuring and mumbling, taking a physical pleasure in making the sounds of the words. It's like really enjoying and chewing on this, the word of God. And uh, it's like a lion making uh, sounds over its prey. So when, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you know, taste it, <laughs> you know, oh, I can't wait to eat you. <laughs> you know, what it's going to do for me, it's going to give me the energy, it's going to give me uh, the health that I need. Oh, it's so yummy. And I know you guys do that with your food too, right? Oh, this is so good, you know, mm, right? It's kind of like that. So, so the lion over its catch and a person over the Torah are acting similarly. They purr and growl in pleasurable anticipation of taking in what will make them strong and what will make them satisfied. And that's how he's saying we should approach the word of God, right? Oh, this is God's word. I don't understand it yet, but oh, God, could you let me taste your word? Delight in your word that is for me. Maybe for some of us, it just starts by reading the word. Just by reading, because we, have, we don't know yet what's in the word. Or maybe for some of us, on coming Sundays, it's, God, speak to me, please, through your word. But it's to begin by having that desire, that heart. God, I want it. I want this happiness. I want my heart to be fulfilled. Because honestly, the way I'm living now, maybe I'm not so happy. I've been doing the Christian thing, the church thing for a while. But why am I not happy? You know? Maybe we can start 
really giving this a chance. Um, now, real quickly, the, the images. So we got two ways, right, two competing uh, things in this world, God or the world, two images. And the images is a tree, right? It says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So this tree, right, is, has been planted. Somebody took a tree and planted it by this stream. It didn't just happen to be there. It says, he, like a tree planted by streams of water. So what this image tells us is that happiness is not about your circumstance. If only I got into this school. If only I was with this crowd. If only I had this thing. Happiness is not about circumstance. If only my life was like this, my family was like this. Happiness is not circumstantial, but it's in who you are. Because at that time, the, the picture of this tree, when the people read it, they would think of a tree in a drought. Because that's what the land was like at the time. It was always a drought. The drought season and then rain season. So during the drought season, right, there was no fruit. There was affliction. There was dryness. There were seasons, right? It wasn't always beautiful. It always wasn't wonderful. It wasn't always blossoming. So real happiness is found not in external circumstances, what happens to you, but in what you are. See, this tree goes through times of dryness, times of hardship, yet the leaf does not wither, and it does produce fruit in season. But it's rooted and planted in something besides himself, right? There's a source, a stream of water that's right next to it. And I know, so happiness isn't in our situation. If only these things were the right, went the right way. Happiness is in who you're rooted in. What are you rooted in? That is your source. That is what will keep your leaf from not withering and for your life to bear fruit in season and when the time comes. But during that affliction, during the hardship, your leaf does not wither. See, happiness doesn't mean that you never experience tragedy, grief, tears, or that you just never let it get to you. Happiness isn't about just always, you know, joking around and goofing off and always having a smile on your face. It's about experiencing pain. Because you never really know happiness until you experience the pain, until you experience the hardship. What will get you through? What will get you through? For George Mallory, it was just trying to get to the top, right? Really? But what will get you through the affliction? What stream are you planted by? The stream that is, talk, is spoken here is the stream of God's word, the Torah, the teaching, 
And when the rough times come, that's when the, the root gets deeper and deeper because it's, 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 it, it needs to go deeper into the root in order to survive. And the hard times come so that it puts your roots down into God like in ways you would never have to unless you experience that hardship. So even those hardships, God uses for your root to grow deeper into him. So that happiness will not be based on circumstances. Because there will be ups and downs, dry seasons and wet seasons, right? But in that, you'll be constantly connected to the stream of his word. That is the picture that is given to us. Whereas the opposite of that is the chaff. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. It's like the, the, the peeling of the grain that when the wind blows, it just, whoosh, just flies away, right? There's no root. There's no nothing to, to, there's no steadfastness to it. There's no rock. There's no stability. It just flies away. And that's what your life would be like apart from seeking God in his word. There's no direction. You go from one Source of joy to another to another. And there's no stability. There's no foundation. And so you're just always up and down. You're always chasing. You're always looking for the next thing. And you're never truly satisfied. And now we'll, I'll wrap it up here with the, the two endings. The two endings. Therefore... The meaning, the, the ending, in conclusion, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked, now, so we need to look at, we need to look at the way. You have your options. You have what's, what's out there saying that will give you happiness. Then you have the images. Do you want your life like the tree? A constant, steady source of happiness, no matter what ups and downs you go through, or your life like the chaff. And then we need to look to the ending. What does the ending look like for us? The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Right? In, when judgment comes... When the judgment time comes and God decides who is guilty and who is not, who's on my side, who is not, the wicked will not stand in judgment. They'll be declared guilty. Guilty of treason, guilty of rebellion, and be condemned to eternal punishment. They will not enter the congregation of the righteous. They'll be excluded. They'll be excluded. And they will not be known by the Lord, meaning they won't, God won't know them in a way that, not just about them, but know, meaning having that affection and that approval. But they will end up in destruction. So that's the, the ending that we look to. Will we be with God in the end? 
Do we choose God or do we reject God? That's the ultimate ending that we need to look to. Are we choosing God or not? And this, what, this, what this tells us about happiness is that happiness isn't something that just happens to you. It's something you choose. You look at the end. You look at what's ahead. And you choose. You, you determine. You make that choice. What do I want? Happiness is something you choose. You admit your need. You, re- you admit, okay, God, I have been standing in the way of sinners. I've been sitting in the seat of mockers. I've been listening to the counsel of the wicked. And I confess, God, it's, it hasn't been doing it for me. I admit that I'm broken. I admit that I'm not happy. I admit that life is not going the way I thought it would go. Happiness is about seeing what you're doing wrong and making the change of allegiance. Making your change of allegiance. Who do you belong to? What things own you? What things own you? What has enslaved you? And it's about saying, all right, God, enough of this. I'll choose my maker. I'll choose you, the one who speaks to me, the one who I will be with for all eternity, the one who always was, who always is, and who is to come. What things own you? What has enslaved you? What seat are you sitting in? Who do you belong to? And it's about turning away, looking at the end and saying, okay, I don't want that end. And as I mentioned before, the whole message of the Bible, as we wrap up here and look at what is the law of the Lord? What do we delight in? Who am I choosing? Who am I turning to? The whole message of the Bible is about a great God who sent his son to die for you. That's who we're choosing. This great God who spoke to us with javelins, Words of javelins that want to enter our hearts and give us life. Who sent his son to die for us so that God can be our father. That is the word. That is the whole counsel of the word of God. The law of the Lord is about God covenanting with us by his grace. Even though we fail again and again and again as the people of Israel did. But by his grace saying, I'll continue to be faithful to you. I'll send you a savior because we can never do it on our own. We, we always fail. We're always failing to avoid the counsel of the wicked. We're failing to avoid standing in the way of sinners. We're failing to avoid sitting in the seat of mockers. We're failing to delight in the law of the Lord and meditating on it. So God says, I'll send you a savior. I'll send you someone who will do that perfectly for you. He is the perfect, blessed man, Jesus, who not only delights in the law of God, who is the very word of God, who came for us, who is the very stream that will give us life and living water.
I went to a, a, a high school jazz band concert some time ago <laughs> to watch one of my former youth students play, uh, play in his jazz band. Um, and there were three bands before, before the final band, the third band that was, the main show was the final band. But there were, there were three bands, two middle school, right? Um, like they were beginning level bands and then the high school advanced, you know, uh, they, they were the best jazz band that the night was all about. And they were performing last. And as I listened to each band, I can tell which band really understood jazz, right? Because what is jazz? Jazz is about... Um, uh, uh, that, that free form of expressing, uh, you know, your feelings, right? You, you just play, you know, you just play what's in you. You just play it out, right? And that's what the essence of jazz, jazz really is, right? But, but when I was watching the beginning students, uh, they were just like this, you know, just reading their music stand, right? They, they didn't feel it. They didn't, they didn't have any energy. They were like, they, they were just so still, right? They didn't understand it. They weren't enjoying it. It was something that their parents made them do. They were doing it for a grade. They were just doing it just to do it. That's what the first two bands were like. It was forced. It was lifeless. It was, it was not happy. It was boring. It was dead. These guys will quit band after high school. But on the contrary, the band that my student was in, the, the advanced jazz band, they, they didn't even have music in front of them, right? They, they loved it. They were, they were moving their body. You know, they were, they were enjoying it. They were smiling, looking at each other. And they were really good. Um, and in fact, at the end, there were two drummers who played uh, without Two drummers who, without music, they were just drum battling on back and forth, back and forth, drum solos. Whatever that was in them, just, right? And so, uh, and, and then the whole room got lively. Everyone was into it. Everyone was cheering. And it was really good watching that. And I want to ask you, in this Christian life, in this Christian life, are you like the first two middle school bands? Just, just doing it. There's no joy. There's no happiness. You're just going with the routine because you want to get an A. You want to be a good Christian person, nice person. Or is it in you? Do you have it in you? Do you have the gospel in you? Do you have the story of that salvation in you? That no matter what you've done, no matter how many failures, how many sins, that the grace of God covers your life. Are you planted by this stream, this constant gospel? And that's what it means to be planted by this stream, right? You have to play it. You have to practice it. You have to let it get in you, right? That's what makes you play jazz. That's what brings you life and happiness. It's by taking that stream, taking that gospel, meditating it on your heart day and night. How can I remember the love of God constantly? It's taking that salvation message, saying, I deserve death. 
I deserve, I don't deserve any, any sort of relationship whatsoever with anyone, right? I don't deserve, I, I, could have, I should have been enslaved by, by sin, right? I'm, I'm addi- I should be addicted to sin. I, this is what life was like apart from the gospel. Death, destruction, defeat. I'm on the losing side here. I will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. That's what we deserved. But by the grace of God, he's given us salvation. He's given us life. And he's offering true happiness. By putting our faith in him, by resting in him, by saying, all right, God, I'll devote my life to you. I'll give you my life. That is the blessed way. To look at him, to say, God, I need you. I need you. This is the constant source of love, the constant source of satisfaction, the constant source of acceptance and approval that nothing else in this world will give me. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you um, for the Psalms. And this introduction of the the law of the Lord, of what happens when we delight in the law of the Lord, what happens when we delight in the gospel, the perfect blessed man, Jesus Christ, who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died and saved me and rescued me and caused me his son and his daughter who is a father to me and who provides a steadfast love that nothing else can give me in this life. Lord, we deserve death. We deserved to not stand in the judgment. We deserved to perish in the end. But you saved us through Jesus, the perfect word, the perfect blessed man, the stream of living water. Help us to get rooted in the gospel, rooted in this love story because there's nothing else like it in the world. Help us to practice it, to speak it, to to get it into our hearts so we can play jazz, so we can fully have life and, and happiness and true joy by being with the Father, by being loved by the Father. And I pray that this will be our journey this summer to truly be happy in God, to find our happiness in this love story, in this rescue plan where we've been saved and we've been called your own. We've been bought with the price. Lord, I pray that through this summer, this message of the gospel will be that that steady stream where our hearts will be rooted into that stream. And whatever he does prospers and bears fruit in season. That is the life that I want, that I want for my brothers and sisters here, and that ultimately you want for us. So God, we pray for that this summer. Pray for that today. We pray for that every day as we look to your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.